This is Five on Three, center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Five on Three, WFUV's NHL podcast, back at it on Thursday, January 20th, 2022. Tyler Mooney, Thomas Quigley here. I'm Chris Hennessy. Boys, uh, how are we doing the first week back at Fordham for all of us? Great to be back, honestly. I, I mean, as much as the break was like a nice, like well-needed rest where I was doing absolutely nothing, uh, it's good to be busy again because like dark thoughts, man, when you're when you're just so bored. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely good to be back. This the the three weeks was amazing. This last year we were we were home from Thanksgiving till like the start of February. So that was way too long. So break was nice, but I think I agree with both of you that it, it's nice to be back. It is, and it was good for me to be back at UBS Arena. I Weird kind of thing, I drove from my house to an Islander game for the first time in a while, first time at UBS Arena, which was kind of interesting. So that's obviously how I got to games for a long time. But um, that was very cool. Uh, big weekend for the Islanders, and that's where we'll start. They're back at NHL 500. They go 3-1, and one, beating the Devils and the Flyers twice. They did lose a pretty bad game to Washington. Um, but they have so many games in hand, Ty, that they're not dead yet. They got a big weekend coming up again. Uh, and as much as everybody wants to write this team off, I think their goaltending is going to keep them alive for a while here. Yeah, I will be at both games this weekend. So Friday night versus the Coyotes, that should absolutely be a win. And then Saturday will be against the Leafs. That, that should be a much harder game for the Islanders. But like you said, Chris, normally when you're this far of the playoffs at this point in the season, it's kind of like, all right, season's probably dead. But the Islanders do have so many games in hand. I think they have like, four or five games in hand against Boston, which is the team that they're chasing for the second wild card spot. And then they're technically still last in the Metro, but that is probably going to change in the next few days. And I believe they have upwards of like seven games in hand on the Devils and Flyers. So for the Islanders, you, that tweet you had a few days ago, that, that hit it on the head, Barlamov and Sorokin have been outstanding in this recent stretch. And Sorokin has obviously been great all season, but Barlamov, we talked about it pretty extensively. He did miss the start of the year and then he was struggling at the beginning of his playing time but now he's starting to turn the corner and we're also seeing players if you just look at the box score of the unders last few games you go Bavillier scored a goal Josh Bailey scored some goals these are guys that were really struggling at the start of the year so to see them getting on the box sheet in positive ways that's what the Islanders absolutely need if they want to try and cover this gap because they are chasing Boston but Boston is so hot right now really all the teams in the Eastern Conference top eight are really hot so the Islanders are going to need to go on a pretty crazy run if they want to make it to the playoffs yeah I mean it's really just kind of a, a race against Boston right now because I mean anybody in the metro right now in the top four is pretty much untouchable um if you're the Islanders and it's funny I so probably my favorite video game sports video game NHL 18 and I've been I, I started a a season mode on uh uh I think all-star which is like probably above my pay grade and like I lost like the first like like 25 games or something but now I'm getting better and I'm starting to like string like maybe like 10 wins in a row now um but like I'm so far out of the playoffs that it's almost like it doesn't matter like it's already like 50 games into the season the Islanders aren't there right now they are still very much in it um but like it kind of feels like that if you are an Islanders fan uh because of the way that they started and because you know with the Bruins playing so well as they are right now and the Metro just being so, you know, stacked this year. I mean, it's really tough to imagine sneaking. I mean, I guess sneaking into anything above like an eight seed into the playoffs. I, I mean, 
But at this point, you're glad your team is playing much better than they were at first. And, you know, goaltending, like we've said on this podcast before, can really get you to the playoffs and can get you through the playoffs. We saw that with the Canadians last year. So there's some hope to, for an Islanders fan right now. Um, but it's definitely a better time to be an Islanders hater, uh, at least when you're a Rangers fan. I think Quicks just challenged us to an NHL matchup here, Tyler. Oh, let's do it. Yeah, you you gotta, gotta, <laughs> seems like he did. <laughs> I got to hop on the sticks. Um, yeah, I, I, I've seen some people start to throw out some trade deadline stuff. Trade the trade deadline this year isn't until like late March. Uh, usually, it's in late February. Uh, so I think it's a little too early, honestly, to say anything about the Islanders because I could definitely see them selling and trading a guy like Marlamov, trading Clutterbuck. Um, those are about the only two guys with any value. Um, if they can trade Zidane or Char, I'm obviously all for it. I could also see them getting hot here, kind of creeping up on Detroit and Boston and going out and trading for John Klingberg or going out and trading for Joe Pavelski. So I really could see it going both ways. Um, so we'll definitely get into that more as the season goes along. But as Tyler mentioned, Arizona and Toronto are on the docket first for the Islanders. They also had all their games rescheduled. Uh, so they're going out to Seattle. They're doing that whole Canada road trip. So uh, hopefully all that goes off without a hitch and they're still going to end before May 1st, which is a heck of an accomplishment by the NHL that came out the other day. Uh, the Rangers, when the Rangers play the Leafs, it's always a conflict of interest for me, as you guys probably can imagine, because uh, I root against both of them in every situation. But when it was 2 nothing Leafs and the Rangers didn't have a shot on goal, I was over the moon. I was like, this is the greatest thing of all time. National television, those rough and tumble, gritty Rangers. This is great. Uh, and then they scored five unanswered goals in one six to three, two from Ryan Reeves uh, and a heck of a bounce back from Igor Shesterkin after a tough start. Quiggs, you were there. This is the kind of game they just keep on winning. Uh, and even when their goalie doesn't put together a great performance, they somehow put up six goals or five with an empty netter uh, and take a big win. Yeah, it's funny to hear the, uh, the kind of tired old uh, Rangers reporters in the press room after the game talking about how, you know, like teams of the past, at least in the past, four or five years when the Rangers would get down 2-0 in the first period. It's like, all right, well, there goes this one. But, I mean, this team is completely different uh, in the way that they're just – pretty much every game that I've been to – I mean, they have won every game that I've been to, but uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> they're they very resilient, and, I mean, the way that they're able to bounce back after – you know, I've seen, like, at least three or four games where they've come out and just played terrible first periods – and there always seems to be just a huge change in momentum after that, because I don't know what it is with this team. They're very young, but they seem very mature for their age. I know Ryan Reeves was talking about that in the in the post game, saying that they're, you know, one of those teams that is among the big dogs of the NHL. And it's due to their maturity, which is, you know, not exactly fitting for the, the youth that they have. So, I mean, I think players like Ryan Reeves, like that veteran uh, mentality have, have had a good effect on this Rangers team. And I mean, it, it shows when you're able to bounce back in the way that they did last night. Yeah. And they bounced back uh, the game prior against the Flyers. They gave up a goal in the second half of the third period to go down and end up winning that one in regulation. So it is great to see them be able to handle adversity well and come back. Cause yeah, I mean, they went down to nothing. They didn't have a shot. And then Reeves took just a terrible tripping penalty. And you thought, I mean, if the Leafs can get a, a power play goal here, make it three, nothing, that would probably be the game for sure. But they were able to weather that storm and 
I mean, what a performance from Ryan Reeves, man. And really the entire Rangers fourth line. I saw a tweet last night that said Kevin Rooney is the Rangers best fourth line center since Dominic Moore. And obviously all Rangers fans remember how important that fourth line was. And especially Dominic Moore in that Stanley cup run in 2014. So obviously, you know, we sit here, it's so much fun watching Ryan Reeves score two goals in a game, but like, that's not going to happen probably ever again for the rest of the season. So but what will happen is the Ryan Reeves and the Rangers fourth line will get the four check going, which they did. That was what created Reeves' second goal. Reeves had a turnover in the neutral zone. The Rangers got in on the four check and ended up stealing the puck from the Leafs D and scoring. So to see the fourth line come out every night with the energy that they've been playing with is something really good. It's something the Rangers have not had the last few seasons. So if they can continue this play, Reeves, Rooney, and McKegg, that's really good for the Rangers, and they obviously were one of the main reasons that they won last night. Quigs, you're twelve and zero. Yes, that's what I'm told by myself. <laughs> so I'm going to make it my duty to get Colin to every single Ranger game for the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, I think you jinx yourself, uh, and I hope and your next game is too late. I mean, even if I didn't jinx myself, the, the next game is definitely going to be a loss <laughs> for sure. Um, that's funny. And, and I was thinking back because the last game I went to pre-pandemic was you and I, Rangers-Devils. But I, then you reminded me correctly that I was the Rangers reporter and you were the Devils reporter that day. Shout out to Susan Sarandon. Sorry. Shout out to Susan Sigourney. Sarandon, Sigourney Weaver, who yeah. it is. The world Twice. may never know. <laughs> and the greatest inside joke quigs that I will ever have. And maybe the hardest I've ever laughed in my entire life. Uh, <laughs> I almost fell on the floor laughing. That is the funniest thing that's ever happened. Okay. Um, the devil stink. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood is legitimately bad. Uh, this was a season I said at the beginning of the year that for me, at least, this was kind of the, if you want to equate it to another sport, the Daniel Jones make or break. Is he the guy season for Mackenzie Blackwood? So far, it has not been. Uh, he gives up four goals last night to the Arizona Coyotes, who, as Tyler pointed out earlier, are trying to lose. And uh, this team is in a downward spiral despite Jack Hughes. Did you see that zone entry he had where he like went around the guy? He was sick last night. He had a great assist on the he sheer goal. Um, but they're just bad. They're just a legitimately bad team. And um, yeah, there's really not much else to say as we kind of kept keep saying. And speaking of trade deadline, they're going to sell hard. Yeah, that it's been a rough year for the Devils going into the season. I I mean, I don't think none of us had the Devils making the playoffs, but I felt as though I was probably the most bullish on them out of anyone. I thought, okay, they can maybe, you know, make a run for that second wildcard spot, not necessarily make it, but, you know, they could be playing meaningful games in March and maybe even at the beginning of April. But And then they had, they had a great start to the season too, and it was like, okay, and they didn't even have Mackenzie Blackwood at that point. And you thought, okay, well, once Mackenzie Blackwood comes back, if he can play to the levels that the Devils expect of him, that the Devils can – they can be a very decent team this year. But – yeah, he's just been so bad. Four goals on 17 shots last night to the Coyotes is not going to get it done. And I don't sit here and I'm not going to pretend that I watch a ton of Devils games. But if you talk to people who do watch a lot of Devils games, they would certainly say that Mackenzie Blackwood, if you could pinpoint one thing that has gone so wrong for the Devils this year, it's their goaltending and specifically him. And, you know, the Devils, they don't have an amazing roster, but they certainly have they got elite pieces offensively in Jack Hughes and Nico Heashier and defensemen like Dougie Hamilton, Ryan Graves. So I don't think they're a last place team, which is what they're going to be in a few days time when the Islanders eventually overtake them. So for the Devils, yeah, I mean, figuring out the future of Mackenzie Blackwood and what you really have in him and what you want to do with him 
has got to be the number one priority for the team moving forward the rest of the season and beyond. And you got to think that Lindy Ruff probably is not going to be the devil's head coach for much longer. It's funny. You mentioned uh, the Daniel Jones comparison, but uh, with football, I mean, the giants, they've won their super bowls, you know, they've had, they had Eli Manning, who is, you know, some people like to claim that he might be a hall of famer one day. I don't know about that, but uh, they are not um, exactly the same when you compare Eli Manning to Martin Brodeur. I mean, this is a, a devil's team that is used has built their entire franchise on, um, you know, just excellent all-time goaltending. So I don't think that they're going to have too much more of a leash for a guy who, you know, just can't go out there and stop pucks. And we, we talk about with the Rangers and the Islanders, one of the reasons that they're so successful is because of their goaltending. And, you know, that's very clearly the reason why the Devils – are struggling right now because they do have that youthful, you know, glean. They have the talent, um, you know, but it's just not anything that we really can say that is going to make the playoffs. I mean, I think that this is about what I expected to happen. It was surprising that they started so well, but we all knew that they were going to taper off and that's exactly what they've done. Yeah. And I think something you mentioned the Brodeur, you know, the team being high is similar, honestly, to what the Giants are going through Brodeur's in the front office. He works for the team. So now he also designed the jerseys. So do we trust the guy and anything but in between the pipes? Maybe not, but I think that they do. And I think that they could ask him, like, what do you think of Mackenzie Blackwood? And if Martin Brodeur thinks Mackenzie Blackwood is good, first of all, a Rochkin different game. And second off, uh, then they're going to keep him. So I think at the end of the day, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't have any information, but at the end of the day, they have one of the greatest goaltenders of all time in the front office, and they can ask him pretty much any question because he's the greatest player to ever put on that jersey. I, I don't know. That seems like an easy way to go about this is to have him as your goaltending consultant, um, and maybe he really likes Mackenzie Blackwood. Maybe this was a make-or-break season, and that just kind of doesn't get out because this isn't as high stakes or highly sought after as, as the NFL quarterback position. Um so I, I think that that's certainly going to be something interesting to watch is kind of what is the trust level between um, Mackenzie Blackwood and Martin Berdur and the entire Devils front office uh, headed by Tom Fitzgerald. Speaking of front offices, uh, the Montreal Canadiens, as we talked about before Thanksgiving, uh, shelled out all of their members of the front office and hired Jeff Gorton as the VP of hockey operations, a job he did not hold for the Rangers. He was the general manager, but certainly he has the experience to do so. Uh, he then was tasked with hiring a general manager and that surge came to an end this week when he hired player agent, Kent Hughes. Um, other player agents have jumped to GM, uh, not a ton without experience, at least in the cap era, but Bill Zito and Kyle Dubas, who Bill Zito's obviously done a great job. Kyle Dubas kind of incomplete there in Toronto. Um, have done a great job going from agent to GM. So I don't think there's a concern in that realm. Uh, there's a lot of connections between the two. We don't know a ton about the guy. Um, so kind of from you two guys, I expect a lot of trust in Jeff Gordon to get this one right. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to, you, it's tough to judge the hire right off the bat. Cause we, yeah, we really just don't know much about him, but you know, he did have his first meeting with the, the Montreal press. I believe it was yesterday, two days ago. And he said he wants to create a team that's offensive minded and they play fast and, when you have pieces uh, coming up your pipeline that are going to be your future core, like Nick Suzuki, like a Cole Caulfield, that's the type of team that you're probably going to want to set up. They're not two of the biggest players, especially Cole Caulfield, but they're very fast. They're, they're very 
elite with the puck. And that's the kind of team that the Montreal Canadiens are going to want to set up if they want to build around these two players. So we're going to have to see how Kent Hughes does. I mean, it's interesting, you know, the Canadians generally linked with teams that, you know, they hire people from the old boys club. And obviously they had Mark Bergeron, who is a key member of that club. And then you could even say Jeff Gordon is probably a member of that club. So it's interesting to see a new face that we really don't know that much about take control of probably the most iconic NHL franchise. So I'm excited to see how he does. And he certainly has his work cut out for him, but he's a, he grew up a Montreal fan. So I'm sure this is, he's absolutely over the moon right now. Yeah. Hughes said, um, I think after he was hired, it was announced that he had talked with Jeff Gordon in the past about possibly joining the Rangers back when he was with the Rangers. Um, and that it really never came to fruition because he still had, you know, uh, things that he wanted to, to get done in the, uh, in the agent side of things. Um, but this was probably the main thing that got him to accept the job as, uh, you know, as a team executive was, or as a, all right, hold on, the GM was uh, <laughs> the fact that it's Montreal. It's his team. And this is a team that's coming off a Stanley Cup run. But when was the last time that we've seen a team get to that stage and then, immediately decide the next season that it's time for a rebuild it's kind of Dallas should have it's kind of insane but um yeah I mean that's what Montreal is at right now and it's definitely going to be interesting to see how he fits in because he is from the uh the other side of things with uh basically playing the the GM's opposite uh in the the player agent so you know I, I I'm not sure really what to expect um because I'm not you know really familiar with all of the the you know idiosyncrasies of running a team from the executive standpoint or the gm standpoint but you know it's definitely refreshing to see you know a new face in montreal because they were at the beginning of the season it was it was all doom and gloom and now they're going to try and turn a new page on a very hard turnaround from a, a very high high of last year for sure. And I think we don't know a lot about him, but we can look at his connections and speculate a little bit. So that's kind of fun to do. So let's do that. Two of his now ex-clients are free agents next year, Chris Letang and Patrice Bergeron, who are both from Quebec. Patrice Bergeron's from Quebec City, so he grew up hating the Canadians. And yeah, he's obviously on the Bruins. So I don't know about that one necessarily. Chris Letang, I could definitely see going to the Canadians if the Pittsburgh lets him go this offseason. So those are two interesting connections. Another one is his son, Jack Hughes, not that Jack Hughes, um, is on Northeastern and is a sixth-round draft pick of the New York Rangers from 2016 when Jeff Gordon was the general manager. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Hold on. Jack Hughes is draft eligible this year. Jack's brother, Riley, is a 2016 seventh-round pick of the New York Rangers when Jeff Gordon was the general manager. My apologies. They both play on Northeastern, Riley and Jack. Um, they were living in Boston until now. Obviously, he's going to move to Montreal. Um, so that's just kind of interesting. They have a lot of inter interconnected uh, things going on there. And um, you might be able to see Chris Letang in a, in a Montreal Canadiens uniform, which is interesting. But um, a, lot to, a lot to kind of observe because they're now, Tyler, the worst team in the NHL. They lost to Arizona the other day. They're, all their stats are worse than Arizona. They are legitimately the worst team in the National Hockey League this year. Um, and they got a lot, lot to get to. Yeah, they do. I mean, they're going to have 
an extremely high, if not the number one pick this year in this upcoming draft. So they'll get a player like a Shane Wright or all, all of a sudden now I'm seeing rumblings that Shane Wright's status as number one is not 100% locked down. So we'll see what comes with that, but they're obviously going to get another high pick, which I would think they would probably use on the offensive side of the ice. And yeah, they do have a lot of work that needs to be done. I'm not sure if going out and, you know, signing a big money free agent is really the move that, this team should do. I mean, they're probably not going to be very good for a, a few years, looking at maybe three, four years here. So it's going to, he does have a lot of work cut out for him. I also saw that one of his former clients is Vincent LeCavule. And I, and there was maybe a little bit of rumblings that Vinny would come and join the Canadians front office, which obviously if you're getting a former player of that caliber, Vincent LeCavule, his accomplishments precede his name. So that would be a very good thing for the Canadians. But uh, yeah, it's, they, there's a lot of things that he needs to fix with that team. So it's going to be interesting to see what gets prioritized. All-star rosters were announced this week. Uh, this is a, a big news item because now with the shrunken rosters, there's a ton of people who are left off and we'll obviously talk about one in Igor Shesterkin. We'll start with the Metro. We'll focus on that more. Uh, the roster was Ajo, Giroux, uh, Jack Hughes, Kreider, Ovechkin, Fox, Pelik. Wawenski, Anderson, and Jari. Mika Zibanejad won the last man in vote. He's unable to go. He has personal issues or reasons to deal with in Sweden. So Jake Gensel goes in the last man in vote. Um, Igor kind of ties in with the everybody gets a player rule. Uh, so we'll kind of talk about both of those things. The reason Igor Shosturkin isn't in is because they had to send Zach Wawenski. So they had to send Tristan Jari because they couldn't send Chris Letang. And then Igor Shesterkin doesn't go. That's how I read it, at least. Um, I think, personally, the every team gets one is kind of dumb uh, because nobody watches it anyways. And <laughs> uh, you could just put these people in the skills competition, which is way cooler and way more fun. Um, I'd rather well, – I personally would rather watch Matt Barzell do fast skater than Adam Pellick play with Adam Fox in the three-on-three tournament. That's me personally. Maybe I'm in the minority, Tyler. But I think the every team gets a player in the game is dumb. Every team sends somebody to participate in the weekend. I'm all game for. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Nathan McKinnon said it best. It's an all-star game, not a participation game. I know you want to, you know, get representation from all the teams in the league, but yeah, it's simply, I mean, it, the, it takes the meaning out of the all-star game, honestly, because we, we can't sit here in good faith and say that, you know, the best, however many players make the all-star game, this is the best 30 or so players in the NHL. Because Igor Shosturkin, he leads the league in save percentage. He leads the league in goals saved above expected. Like, he objectively should be in the All-Star game. So, you know, nobody watches the All-Star game. You mentioned that, Chris. Yep, maybe it's because it's not the best players are, are not in the game. You know, uh, Rasmus Dahlin made it for Buffalo. I know it's a different division, so it doesn't really affect Igor Shosturkin. But Dahlin, I mean, he's hopefully going to one day turn into a great player. He struggled at the start of his career probably should not be an all-star. And I think he has better stats than Zach Wenski at this point, if we're being honest. So, yeah, I, I don't know if the NHL would ever, you know, make that change to that rule. But it is frustrating to watch because, especially when the teams are so small because it's three-on-three three and you're, you're limited to players from your division. When you have seven, eight teams in a division and you can only send nine, ten players from each division, it, the, the numbers you run out of numbers extremely quickly. If you have teams like the Rangers who they're having a great year this year and they have 
three, four, maybe even five players who are all-star caliber. We didn't even talk about Panarin throughout all of this. Whereas in years past, the Rangers have stunk and they probably haven't deserved anyone going to the all-star game. So it would be nice to see the NHL maybe switch that. Although I have really no confidence that they will switch it. Yeah. Igor is pretty much the best goalie in the NHL. And it's, it's tough to argue that because he has the lowest goals, goals allowed uh, average and he has the highest save percentage. Um, three shutouts. I mean, this is, he's the reason why the Rangers are a, a competitor uh, for the president's trophy. So it's really, it is tragic that he's not being recognized for that. Um, but yeah, the, the NHL all-star game, I mean, it's not exactly must watch TV. It never has been. I mean, when you're getting worse ratings than the pro bowl, there's probably something wrong. Um, especially when it's an all-star game in the middle of the season, not at the end after the Super Bowl, before the Super Bowl, who cares? Um, but the, I don't know. I mean, obviously when you're, when you're measuring someone's accolades after their career all-star games is a huge one um that people bring out and it's unfortunate that you know igor is going to have one less for what may end up i mean hopefully has a you know these kind of season every season for the rest of his career but this is kind of a, a remarkable season that he's put forth so far and you know it's really tough that he's not being at all lauded for that at least in terms of an all-star not well when i think I think when you talk about his career accolades, very good chance he wins a Vesna this year. High chance he's nominated for a Vesna. Okay, that's going to count. And then there's also the postseason All-Stars, kind of the NHL's equivalent to the All-Pro teams. Um, and he will undoubtedly get named to one of those two teams. I believe there's four total goalies. He'll, I think, without a doubt, be getting named to one of those four spots. So I think when you look at it, if you look back and say, oh, he finished fourth in Vesna voting, was a second team all postseason All-Star, and, you know, was third in the league and wins in 2022. You're like, oh, that was a really good season for Igor Sasserkin. I don't think you're going to look back and say, wow, Tristan Jari got in over him. Why? Oh, because they had to send Zach Rowenski or whatever. Like, I, I think at the end of the day, it's not going to impact, you know, Hall of Fame statuses or anything like that. Um, I just think uh, you don't have the best players playing in the game. And that's because um, the fact that Nazem Kadri and Troy Terry had to last man in vote to get into this game is preposterous. Uh uh, you could argue that Panarin and Mika deserve to be there, although then you got five guys from one team and it's only a 10-player team, so then you got to kind of cut it short at some point. Um, and they sent Pellick over Barzell from the Islanders. They sent Hughes over Bratt from the Devils, which I can't even comprehend because Hughes has been hurt. Bratt's had a fantastic season. A lot of choices I, I didn't necessarily agree with, the number one being Kadrin. You mentioned McKinnon, Tyler. He was very vocal about it. Um, I... I don't know. Like, I think, I think if you're going to have an all-star game, you got to send the, the 12 best players uh, regardless of the team. And look, as I said earlier, if you want to send five guys for the Rangers and nobody from the Islanders and put Barzell in this fastest skater and say that's their, I'm fine with it. Cause I, I more likely will watch the skills competition, in the all-star game. I don't know if anybody else, I think the skills competition is amazing. And the all-star game is kind of overrated personally. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it, it, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I mean, all-star games for me, just in sports in general, I really don't put that much stock into them. First, you know, you're selecting the team halfway through the season. You mentioned Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes gets named to the all-star game and he's played 20 games this year. Like, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, he's had a really good 20 games. He's got 20 points in 20 games, but it's an 82 game season. So when you're looking back, you know, at people being selected to the all-star game, 
me personally, I really don't put as much weight into it as say, you know, an end of season award or an end of season, all pro team. I know the NHL doesn't really have that. They kind of have it with the all postseason team, but uh, yeah, I, the skills competition is awesome. And I would hundred percent, I hundred percent agree with you, Chris. I would much rather watch Matt Barzell skate as fast as he can in a, in a race, than watch these players go 50% in a three on three game that the idea behind it is good, but they're never really putting forth that much effort. So the product is definitely lacking. Yeah. I don't really ha- even have like a suggestion on how they can even make it better. It's, it's just, it's a tough situation. All-star games in general, just, you know, haven't, they don't have the same fanfare as they used to. Like people just don't care. It's not your team. There's not like, there's no really division pride. Like I don't think like anybody on the Rangers is really going out there, like trying to defend the Metro when there's, at least two or three or four teams in that division that they absolutely despise. So, you know, it's the all-star game, I guess. What you say, Chris, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, the fact that there is, you know, all-star teams at the end, um, similar to all pro in the NFL. I mean, that's definitely a much better grade of your season than, you know, halfway midpoint three on three tournament between four divisions of, you know, players that just really probably don't care about winning yeah for sure and uh yeah it's it'll be it'll be fun i mean the thing with this is the all-star game still doesn't have a lot of juice it's way better than when they did the captain's draft and the when they used to just do the east versus west nobody tried then the captain's draft was fun for like five seconds three on three has actually like kind of kept it interesting um but the skill competition is so is way 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 better in my opinion um, we'll end with dry title because it's just so much fun. <laughs> so we'll, we'll still go to the Olympics next. Um, the U.S. named their Olympic team, as we mentioned, the uh, pros are not going. So the question was going to be, how is this team different than 2018? 2018, the U.S. team did not perform very well. They had kind of a combination of NCAA guys, AHL guys, and older, not signed to an NHL team guys, Brian Boyle being the main one. Uh, this year, they went almost entirely NCAA guys, which I personally love. Some big names on here. The number two overall pick in Maddie Beneers, uh, the Massachusetts kid from University of Michigan. Uh, he's a cracking prospect, as we know. Brock Faber, the big defenseman from University of Minnesota. Uh, Brand- Brendan Brisson, who's um, a uh, he was also on Michigan. He's a Vegas prospect. Uh, a couple of local guys, Strauss Mann from Connecticut. He's a goalie. Uh, and uh, Jake Sanderson, who's that uh, defenseman, 6'2 defenseman from North Dakota and Ottawa Senators prospect. This team could be a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, we didn't get a World Juniors. This is kind of just a World Junior team with Aaron Ness on there for whatever reason. And um, I'm really excited, Tyler, because there's this little movie called Miracle where they beat the Russian team and win the gold medal. And That would certainly be something. It will be a lot of fun watching this team. We didn't get the World Junior, so this is a bit of a replacement for it. And it was interesting to see them go very heavily to the younger side, the NCAA players. I know the Canadian team was split a little bit more of 18-year-olds and then 38-year-olds, which I find hilarious, by the way, that these some of these young kids are playing against players who they watched growing up in the NHL, which is that's always a great story. But it will be a lot of fun to watch these guys play because, you know, a guy like Matty Berniers, I've really never had the chance to watch him play a guy like Jake Sanderson. So it will be fun seeing all these young guys play on what is undoubtedly the biggest stage that they have yet uh, ever played on in their careers to this point. And uh, yeah, who knows if they can, if, if the team 
gels well, they can go on a little bit of a run. That would be quite the story. Yeah, it's funny to look at the rosters and just look at like the it's funny to look at the rosters and just look at the uh the birth years because you got like kids that are like born in like 2002, like younger than me. And then you have like people that are born in like the eighties. <laughs> so it's just a funny mix. Um, and there's like very few in between, like there's no one, yeah. no one that's like born like, like before 98 and like after like 91 maybe. So like, there's just a big age gap, which I think is funny. Um, but I definitely like that there's more college kids this year. Um, like you keep mentioning uh, 1980, the, the last time that we won anything in the Olympics. And I think that's uh you know, a, a cool story to set up again. It's another, you know, we're huge underdogs. Um, but like, there's no, there's no like Soviet union, like impossible team to beat because there are Russian players in the NHL now. So, I mean, you don't really set up that huge underdog situation as much as it was in 1980, but it still would be cool um, for a U.S. team. That's mostly college kids to go out there and, and actually, you know, perform on the biggest stage, at least internationally. Um, they're in group A, which is kind of a tough group uh, matchup. I mean, you get, you're with Canada, which is, you know, the first ranked team um, and Germany, who had a really good run to the finals last time. Um, China, you know, we'll see. <laughs> Probably not, uh, you know, too threatening, but um, should be fun. I mean, it, 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 it's cool to see college hockey in, in any sense i think it's a it's a fun game to watch and and now we get to see it in the international stage with the best of the best in u.s hockey i heard somebody say earlier in the week you look at the schedule they got the, Ch the china and canada games first so if they lose to canada they're going to be china right china this is whole there was a whole argument about should they even be allowed in the tournament because the home country always gets in but their team is not up to the standards of olympic hockey but they, they let them in <laughs> Um, so they'll beat China if they lose to Canada and Germany lose to Canada, they'll have a play in game against Germany, essentially in that third slot. So it's just about beating Germany. I mean, you gotta, you gotta get, take care of business against China. Then you gotta just beat Germany and you're into the semifinal or the quarterfinals, I should say. And, and who knows, a hot goalie can get you a lot of places as we saw in 2010. So, um, they did not have this good of a chance in 2018. I don't think, although the Russia should be good or the, Russian, what is it called? The, the Olympic athletes Russian Olympic from Committee. Russia, I think. Yes, the Olympic, yeah, the Olympic athletes of Russia, because um, because the Russians aren't allowed, so just the Olympic athletes. So I think this time it's Russian Olympic Committee. Is that is there just still um, banned? Like I, I don't know. I I don't. I don't know, understand yeah. how you could ban a country and then just have all their athletes come. I don't, that doesn't make. Yeah, sense. it doesn't really make sense. But I guess whatever. they don't get a flag. Uh, speaking of Germans, Leon Dreisaitl's German. Uh, he's arguably the second best player in the world. He is, I mean, just unbelievably good at hockey. He's number three in the league in points right now behind his teammate, Connor McDavid and Alex Ovechkin. And the Oilers stink. They're two, they're three, 11 and two, I think it is since December 1st, which is horrific. That's really bad. And they're, they're struggling. They're struggling. They've lost to Ottawa. They've lost a lot of games. And this was at a practice this week. This is a exchange between, uh, Hall of Fame. He's not a Hall of Fame reporter. He was given an award by the Hall of Fame, uh, Jim Matheson and Leon Dreisaitl, about what needs to change with the Edmonton Oilers. Lots of reasons for why the Oilers are playing the way they are in terms of winning and losing. What do you think is the number one reason for 
the losses now? Is there, is there one thing that you, in your own mind you're saying, we got to get better at that? Yeah, we, ha we have to get better at everything. Would you like to expand on that? No. Nope. You can do that. You know everything. Why are you so pissy, Leon? Hmm? Why are you so pissy? I'm not. I'm just I, answering your question. Yeah, you are. Whenever I ask you a question. I gave you an answer. Not very good one. Okay. I have one more for you. Leon, you show your frustration on the ice last game against Ottawa. Is that a good thing when you show it so the other team knows you're frustrated? Yeah, it's a great thing for sure. All right. So you probably heard that earlier in the week. It was going crazy viral on Twitter. Uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting one, Tyler. It's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough, it's tough. The first question from Matheson, it was like a pretty reasonable question. And that obviously Drysaddle gave like a pretty, like, I don't want to answer this answer, but it's honestly not even a bad answer to the question. The Oilers literally need to fix everything. Their goaltending has been atrocious. Their defensive play has been very bad and they're not even scoring at the insane level that they were scoring at, at earlier in the season. So while he meant well the way dry settle meant to answer it is kind of just like to brush it off it, it was like a actually a pretty decent answer to the question if you think about it but then after that yeah that kind of just it reminded me of just like two kids bickering like matheson obviously got the, the why are you pissy like why, why are you asking that there, there's just no way that this is going to end well and he said after the fact like oh i, I never want to you know bring myself into the story and when I write about this like I'm not going to mention myself at all but you know a question like that at like such a provocative question why are you so pissy right now Leon like you're kind of inserting yourself into the situation so it was just a really bad situation and uh pretty indicative of just the way the Edmonton Oilers are going right now they nothing is going right for them on or off the ice yes the Edmonton Oilers the Anaheim Angels of the NHL to the two best players in the world and they can't do anything right um I thought uh it would be interesting to find out what has been said in the press conferences leading up to that because Drysaddle's first answer he says he's like we have to fix everything and then he says like you guys know everything right like so I, it seems like there was already some tension building and uh but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's a very provocative question to just be like, why are you pissy? Like, that's a, an absurd question to ask. Um, and then the fact that he had the gall to ask another question, which <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Like, <laughs> that was so funny. He's like, no, I got really, like, more. <laughs> they're clearly at odds, like bickering in a press conference. Everybody's like, all right, we should probably get a handle on this. He's like, no, I got one more question. <laughs> The best part is you can hear the PR guy in the background. If you listen closely, he goes, all right, that's going to do it. He goes, actually, I got one more. <laughs> it's like, oh, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I got one more. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I'm going to get a sweatshirt. It's going to be just a black crew neck, and it's just going to say, why are you so pissy in white letters right across the front of it. Like four people will get the joke. It's going to be great. Um, no, I think that it's – I mean – I think dry saddle comes out looking a little bit better, but they both look terrible. Uh, it's like, why are you so pissy now? There's a little <laughs> bit of context. This was his third or fourth question at this point in a row about why the Oilers have been terrible. And they've been asked these questions a million times. Um, and this is not a new thing. This is not just a Jim Matheson thing. This is not just a Leon dry thing. This is not even a 2022 Oilers thing. This is from Greg Wyshynski in the ESPN column today. He says, this exchange reminded me of a quote from former Oiler Jordan Eberle in 2017. This is the quote. When you read articles every day about how much you suck, it's tough. The Edmonton media can be pretty brutal and your confidence goes 
and your confidence goes. And this is a game where you can't play if you don't have confidence, close quote. In response, he was called, quote, mentally weak by an Edmonton-based writer who said teams sh- should trade players who feel this way because, quote, you can't win with them. So this is not a Leon Dreisaitl problem. This is not even a Jim Madison problem. This is a Canada media problem. And honestly, as people who uh, – consume new york media as fans of new york sport or you're not oh yeah you're a rangers fan so yeah as new york fans of new york sports teams we know that provocative questions are asked players are put on a pedestal aaron judge you know the the quarterback of the giant like all these players who aren't hockey players and philadelphia for sure boston for sure you see this but this is kind of the only place we see it in hockey is in the canadian media you mentioned kent hughes i think he handled the canadian media very well in his montreal press conference uh, we've seen Kyle Dubas lose his patience at points. We've seen, uh, we've seen Calgary. We've seen it everywhere, um, and it, it gets out of control. And this is, this comes on the heels of what we talked about last week, where Connor McDavid didn't say no when he when ever asked about Evander Kane and the whole thing with that, where he was criticized widely, and I would say rightfully so, because we just went through a whole thing this fall with the Chicago Blackhawks about we should take off-ice accusations seriously and not put them to the side for on-ice things. Then this happens with Leon Dreisel. It is a – you mentioned, Tyler, a train wreck out there right now. They're going to miss the playoffs. If I mean, even if they do trade for Marc-Andre Fleury, they could trade for Patrick Waugh at this point. They're going to miss the playoffs. And I this is the greatest soap opera we've had in a long time. Yeah, it reminds me, too, of uh, – speaking of Canadian media, Dion Phaneuf and Phil Kessel, obviously they had – very well documented quarrels with the Toronto media and the earlier in this decade. And those guys could not get out of Toronto fast enough by the end of their playing times with the Leafs. But uh, another thing with these questions too, you mentioned that, you know, this is obviously a recurring thing. The Oilers have been struggling mightily for now about two months now, and they've probably been getting asked the same exact questions every single day. But going up to this point, the Oilers have played one game in 15 days and it was a six, four loss to the Senators. So these guys are getting asked the same questions over and over. And it's not even like, at least in the last few weeks, they've had a chance to kind of back up, back it up on the ice or change things around on the ice. They've been stuck, not playing any games at all. They haven't even won yet in 2022. So definitely maybe the most frustration uh, that we've seen from the Edmonton Oilers in the last few years. I know things have been up and down for them. Obviously they would want more considering they have the two best players in the world, but I don't really know what the next move is for them because yeah, I don't, I can't see a way that this team makes the playoffs. They just have too many holes. Yeah. I think I read that they've had, they've gotten three points since December 3rd, which is just unimaginably terrible. Um, Obviously there's a break in between, but that's, that's a long time to go um, and only get three points. So, I mean, in Edmonton, what do they even have like a, a CFL team? Like it's it's all they got, really. I I feel like they think so. I think they're the oil king. No, that's the that's the um, that's a minor league hockey team. Um, they definitely have a they have NFL team, probably. But the the fact that I mean, yeah, they're a major city in Canada. But the the fact that you know this is basically their only big name team. Um, and that goes for like pretty much every Canadian city other than Toronto. Um. The media is just so much tougher out there uh, for hockey than it is in stateside. So, I mean, you're going to see these type of things. Um, it's definitely not where you want to be as an organization for as with the Oilers. Um, and, you know, we're also media members. So, like, it, it's not <laughs> – it's interesting. We're on, like, kind of both sides as fans and media. Um, 
for some spectacles like this, but uh, it's uh, definitely, you know, the wrong kind of headlines every single week coming out of Edmonton for the Oilers. And, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to get much better as the season progresses. No, it does not. And lots of questionable offseason moves lead to a disastrous start to this season. It's uh, been a tough go for the Oilers, but maybe they can make it back. I doubt it. Uh, but it should be an interesting end to the season. We'll be back next week. Tyler, as we mentioned at UBS for Friday and Saturday, you haven't been to UBS in a while, too, with the Christmas break. No, I have not been. I probably, I think it was the second week of December is the last time I've been. So it's been yeah. about a month. Definitely like a month for me too. Yeah. So that should be good. Quiggs, when are you uh, back at the garden? Saturday night, Arizona Coyotes, best team in the NHL. All right. So we got all your matchups against the Coyotes covered uh, and all that. So uh, we'll be back next week with another episode, but until then for Tom Quigley and Tyler Moody, I'm Chris Hennessy. We'll chat with you then.